Chris Hahn here on the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. We don't just talk about progressive politics. We tell you how to win because that's what being an aggressive progressive is. Check us out every Tuesday. New episodes on Pandora, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't miss a week. The Aggressive Progressive Podcast with Chris Hahn. Biff Globo Productions is proud to bring you Beyond Bigfoot and Beyond with Clifford Berrickman and James Bobo Fay. Painstakingly curated for our Platinum members, these exquisite episodes provide never-before-heard oral delights, constituting the most comprehensive collection of sounds ever to honor the triumphs of these men. From the defecatory woes of Faye to Berrickman's various treatises on the ills of modern Sasquatchery, this new series is a must-have for the Clobo completist. Subscribe now for only $5 a month at the link in the show notes listed here and earn your rightful place among the intellectual elite. Good day, sir. How are you doing? Good day. Good day. Yeah, I'm doing all right. How's it going up there? It's going all right. Woke up to um, a you know a wet deck and lawn. Apparently, it rained overnight. I'm pretty stoked about that because this is fire season. Yeah, yeah. We had drizzle down here for a couple nights, but uh, yeah, we had fires. I think I told that the other day when we. I did. We talked about that yesterday. Not, not much has changed since yesterday, but uh, no, no, yeah. For everybody listening, we recorded one yesterday. We're recording one today. Getting ahead of the game for a change, which is rare for us, but we're doing it. We're doing it. Yeah, we're gonna head back up to the redwoods today. Just do some day hiking with the chica, and that's about it. But I heard you got some good guests today. Fantastic guest, actually. A guy I have a lot of respect for for a lot of years, um, and uh, we finally managed to pin him down. Um, I was talking to him before we started recording here, and apparently he's all over the country now. So I've got we've got a lot of catching up to do. Um, so everybody, Bigfoot and Beyond Land, all you listeners and such, please welcome Scott Violet to uh, our um, our podcast here. Scott, thank you very much for coming on. Hey Scott. Yeah, thanks for having me. Hi Cliff. Hi Bobo. Have I met you in person? Oh, actually, you have at the Oregon Bigfoot Festival a couple years ago, or three years ago, I think. Well, those are crazy. You can't blame, I can't, you know, nobody, nobody can blame you for not remembering because I mean, yeah. <laughs> my wife was at them and I don't remember that, you know, this, those are just whirlwinds of activity and people and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Is that the only time I've met you, Scott? Is that the only time I've met you or is there, is there something that goes back further? Well, no, it's just you and I, uh, we're at the Oregon Bigfoot Festival. We met once and then we were at the last Pocatello Gotcha. Gotcha. Again. Yeah. It's not a good time to meet me and have, have me remember anybody. <laughs> it happens all the time in the shop. I say, Cliff, remember me? And I go, well, you look familiar, but so does everybody else who walks in the door. We met like four years ago. Like, oh, well that, that's probably why. Were you wearing a bikini? 
<laughs> but but Scott's a name that um, a lot of people would recognize. I mean, he's been in the Bigfoot community for quite a while. Um, and I think he's a way worthy guest. We're going to learn a lot about him today and what he's been up to because he's doing some really exciting stuff. But for those who don't know you, Scott, um, how did you get into this ridiculous subject that we all love so much? Yeah, it was uh, kind of totally by accident, sort of. <laughs> I could put it that way. I, uh, you know, I was always interested in Bigfoot as a kid because I'm a pretty old guy now, and I remember seeing the uh, Patterson Gimlin film as a newsreel before a movie when I was about seven or eight. So I, you know, I was always kind of in the back of my mind, uh, you know, thought about, hey, this could be a real thing. But what really got me into it is after years of living and I ended up being an anthropologist, (laughs) uh, a Native American cultural anthropologist, and I worked with a couple different universities on some archaeological digs. But what really got me into it is I worked with the Miwok tribe in Central California. That's in the Sierra Nevada mountains, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah. Around Yosemite, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Kathy Strain does a lot of work with them. Yeah. Yeah, she does. So what I was doing, I was working uh, with one of the tribes uh, near a town called Mariposa, where we were actually documenting their history, and I was helping them to document their how long they had been in the valley, basically. And we were, I was walking around with the elders, and we were, they were showing me pictographs and petroglyphs that they have found all over the years. And, you know, I'd learned to read those in college, and that was kind of my, my area that I really delved into in my studies. And I uh, asked the elder, what's this symbol? I don't recognize that one. And he said, that's Bigfoot. And I looked at him and was like, so they're real? And he looked at me like I was stupid and said, yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so... <laughs> So that's what kind of got me into doing the the research. And when I started delving into, you know, I've I've taken forensic anthropology in college and stuff. So when I started looking at the footprint casts, I started noticing that there is morphology to this, you know. So I started delving into, you know, of course, uh, Dr. Meldrum's books and some other things. And I thought, well, there's a lot more history here than I realized. Sorry, Scott, what year was this when you saw the Harry Man pictograph for the first time? Uh, that one would have been about, gosh, I would say 97. So did Kathy, did Kathy Strain learn about it from you or did she already know about it? Oh, no, no. This was a different one. Uh, the one she was talking about. Yeah. This is, this is up North in Yosemite area. I never saw pictures of that one. Uh, nobody has because, uh, the, uh, Miwok tribal members keep it pretty quiet. So, uh, and and I haven't got permission to, you know, to say where it's at, but I can can say, uh, just recently, as in like three weeks ago, I found another one that was almost identical to the one that Kathy has down there, and it's in Eastern Oregon here. No way. Yeah. It and uh and it's kind of interesting because there's three symbols. Uh, together, there's the the Bigfoot, the hairy man, and then there's a symbol that's a directional symbol that tells people to go, to avoid this area, go around basically. And then they have a stick man symbol, which is also on the one down there in California, which is more of a warning sign, uh, you know, danger uh, basically. So yeah, the one we found up here, it's only it's only like nine inches tall. So 
it's hard <laughs> unless you're lo- looking closely on the rocks you, you'll never see it but uh i had a i had a gentleman who had had seen that uh just by accident and had sent me pictures of it and and took me out there and we were able to document it uh, just about four weeks ago actually how, do you have any idea how old that is? Like, is there stuff catalogs around there that give you an idea of the age when it was done? Uh, there's, there's really not, you know, because they, they use, it was a pictograph, so they used like iron oxide, which the whole area is just covered in it because this is a mineral-rich area. Uh, but um, so there's really not, there's no way to, you know, carbon date rock. So, oh, I can't really tell you, but I can give you an idea. I can get an idea from when the, you know, the tribes that were in the area. So I'm guessing probably two to 300 years old. So you took this uh, pictograph as a, uh, um, as a petroglyph or a pictograph? There is a difference. Yeah, it's a pictograph. It's painted on with iron oxide paint. Petroglyphs are pecked into the rock or carved. Right. So you're interpreting this pictograph as a warning sign, like don't go in this particular area. I assume you've gone there. <laughs> yes, we have. Uh, yeah, it it's actually really a deserty area here in eastern Oregon, too. But it does lead into the Eagle Cap Mountains, which is part of the Blue Mountain Range. Oh, yeah. Okay. So there you go. Interesting. Interesting. Well, anyway, back on track. So you started reading about Dr. Meldrum's work and the foot morphology and that sort of thing. and Yeah, and, and I started discovering there's there's a lot of actual science to this. You know, there's a lot of proof right here. And I don't know why the world hasn't, you know, jumped on this myself. So what I wanted to do was to, uh, and this probably has been like almost eight years ago, I decided, well, I live here in Eastern Oregon. I live in the Blue Mountains. Uh, I saw the Freeman film, you know, in fact, where I grew up in Somerville, Oregon was only about 15 miles south of where the Freeman film was shot. Um, So I thought, well, hey, what if I put up a YouTube channel or not a YouTube channel, but a, a Facebook page and say, hey, maybe somebody's got stories that they could tell me. Uh, so I put up the Facebook page and, and a website and then the local newspaper guy here did a little story on me. And next thing I know, we're getting hundreds of stories, you know, from all around this area. So, and so I figured that's going to be my operating style from now on, I guess you could put it that way is so we put the fancy logos on our truck and all that stuff, just so people would know I'm a safe guy to talk to. And (laughs) And and we actually started going to uh, setting up booths in like uh, local fairs and uh, sportsman shows and and you know not necessarily the Bigfoot conference type stuff but just the the out of the way little places and uh, inevitably we were getting stories all the time and and I was able to put pins and maps and dates and times and I started uh, creating my own like basically database of the Bigfoots and the blues <laughs> and uh or is it big feet i don't know well what, what, i don't know that's good what, which do you prefer i say big foots because feet is a plural of foot but bigfoot is you know and i don't i of course they have two feet yeah so yeah i go with the big feet so gotcha to each their own grammatically it's big foots i err towards sasquatches it's easiest 
There you go. <laughs> yeah. But you know, one of the most important things I think you're doing is because the Blue Mountains were put on the map by the, you know, by the the vanguard, you know, the, the Paul Freemans and the West Summerlands and um, all those folks, Bill Lowry and those folks. Um, but you are south of there. And that zone is really quiet. Even Dr. Krantz took note of that. Like he said, there's a ton of stuff outside Walla Walla and people are willing to talk about it. But you go further south, um, uh, Sumter and um, Baker City, and, the, and people are very hush-hush about the Bigfoot thing, even though obviously the habitat is great and a lot of things happen. Um, it is so great that a local person like yourself, I know that you probably grew up, I'm, I'm guessing, um, uh, Milton Freewater or somewhere like that. I don't know where you were uh, south of the deep duct area. Yeah, I, I grew up in a, in a near the biggest town would be Lagrand. Lagrand. Okay, sure, sure. Well, out in that zone, not really anybody but you um, is on the radar that's working it. There probably are a few Bigfooters out there, but no one's um, no one is taking a high profile. So it's really great that you're out there doing it and documenting the activity that's out there because it's hard to get unless you're a local. Exactly. You know, inevitably, like when we go to fairs and things and set up our little booth, we'll have the guy that walks by the booth five or six times and kind of looks at me out of the side of his eye and waits until there's nobody there to come talk to me. Various locales throughout the, the country, really, um, feel that same way. Like they're not going to open up to anybody unless they have a reason to. Um, like you're a local. I mean, for Bobo and I, a lot of times it's like we're on TV and they kind of feel like they know us or whatever. So they, 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 we might get some of those reports. And then again, some people say, oh, he's been on TV. I'm not telling him. So I'm sure we lose reports like that, too. But um, the Southern Blues is one of those areas where people just kind of keep hushed about it. Um, Idaho is another spot, you know, because people move to Idaho for various reasons. And one of them is to not deal with outsiders. And, of course, Maine as well. Um, They live up in the corner of the country to keep all of us away, essentially, as far as I can tell. So um, if you, and, and it's up to the local researchers in these areas to do the groundwork to find out what's going on in their areas because they're not going to report it to the BFRO. They're not going to tell some guy on the internet um, what's going on. They're going to tell local people. At least that's what I found. You know, the Coast Range in Oregon, that's another one. Um, I had this woman, um, I did a gig at this casino um, out in the Oregon coast a few years back. And this woman says, I'm going to tell you about my sighting, but, you know, I don't want it to go anywhere and stuff. She goes, okay, fine. And she starts to tell me about the sighting. And she basically had a road crossing on, on the highway in the general area, you know, the main highway. And I said, oh, do you live right there? She goes, oh, no, I don't live there. I live like 15 miles up in the hills from there, you know. Like you have to go down this road and this road. I go, oh, you don't live anywhere near there. Why don't you want anybody to know about your sighting? She goes, oh, well, we just don't like outsiders around here. And so even though it's on a main highway that everybody in the world knows or everybody in the local area knows this highway, she doesn't want anybody to know where she saw it. And she doesn't live anywhere near there because we don't want outsiders. So what have you been finding out about this? I mean, well, uh, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself because I know what you're doing now compared to what you were doing. But what were your takeaways by studying the, um, the patterns that were developing in the Southern Blues? Did they resemble the stuff outside of Walla Walla that everybody else knows about? Did they resemble other parts of the country or was, uh, were they totally different? What were your takeaways? Oh, they're, they're very similar to the ones set up in Walla Walla. Um, but what was really interesting to me was all the reports we get. And I was looking at, you know, dates and, you know, some of these were like years and years apart, but the months were the same in the same place. And so I would, I come to the conclusion that 
it's almost I could almost see a like a migratory pattern basically. And then I started noticing that there was there was kind of two factors to it. There was the food availability, like they were in this area when the huckleberries, or they were in this area when there was mushrooms, you know, or that was one thing. And another thing, we got more reports uh, during the mushroom season and during huckleberry season and during the hunting season. So I don't know if the Bigfoot were there the whole time and just more people there to see them or if they were migrating from one spot to the other through this area. Yeah, that would be a hard one to discern because certainly more people are out in those areas during that time. That might be a human factor. Right. So that was that was kind of interesting, but I started looking at some of the the reports and where we're getting like, you know, rocks thrown at people. In fact, we got one report where a stump was thrown at somebody in a huckleberry patch during huckleberry seasons, like get out of my huckleberries kind of deal. So I was thinking if we took the more aggressive, I guess you would say, uh, encounters compared to the ones where people just saw them basically, or smelt them or heard them or got the tree knocks or whatnot. So if you've got the more aggressive ones, it's it's when they're in this area for food, basically. It's it's kind of a conclusion I came to. It's it's of course not scientific, it's just kind of a, a, a scientific guess, I have to say. So taking that into consideration, we would hit those areas doing our research, you know, just going out and and spending time in the woods. And that was another thing that I I decided we needed to do is is you can't go out on a weekend, you know, we, we would spend two weeks or three weeks or four weeks in an area and just camp out there and stay there. And, uh, being able to do that is after 20 years of doing this research, I actually had my, my first, I can't encounter, <laughs> you know, when first an encounter or sighting both. Yeah. It's a, uh, my, my, my sighting, uh, I can, well, I can go into that. I uh, I had a I had a gentleman with me, which is kind of interesting. Uh, so my wife, her friend, her husband always wanted to go bigfooting. He'd never done it before, and it was his birthday. So she thought it would be great for a birthday present to have him go out in the woods with me. So we had been researching this area for a couple of weeks. So uh, I said, okay, let, let come with me for the first time out. So he comes out. And we're hiking down this trail. And this is kind of interesting too. We're in the area where there it's uh, the watershed area for Baker City up in the blues. It's kind of funny how it's a watershed area. <laughs> Very interesting. But uh, as opposed to the Freeman film is what I'm alluding to. But uh, so we're out hiking this trail and we smelt the smell. And I had never smelt it before. I had had lots of reports about how it smelled, but uh, I had never experienced. And now, I, and now I can say, "Oh, I get it." You know how how bad it smells. So uh, I said, "Hey, let's." We stopped, of course, and looked around. But of course, we're in the forest, and it's kind of drizzling rain, and I can't see anything. And I and I I told the guy with me, "Hey, let's just keep walking. Maybe this thing will." follow us or something, you know, and we'll get footprints. So we kept walking and the smell went away and I said, well, that didn't work. So we turned around and went back to where the smell was uh, very pungent and we were scanning the trees. And I finally just said, 
the heck with it. And I just went <laughs> in the woods just to see if something happened. And it mimicked me. I got the almost the exact same sound I made back at me. And that's when we were able to see it. It was 200 feet away down the hill. And I saw this head bobbing side to side uh, between this little tiny opening in the trees. And uh, I had about three seconds to take a picture. And I got my my quintessential blurry Bigfoot picture. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but then we heard this whistle off in the woods and this really loud whistle too. Um, and the one I, I had, I was seeing through the opening turned and walked away really fast. Uh, and it, of course it was down behind a bunch of trees and it just disappeared on me and I couldn't, uh, and the smell went away. So this guy looked at me and goes, am I really lucky to see a Bigfoot on my first trip? <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very. So, um, we actually spent three days there after that, you know, of course the gentleman went home, but we went back every day and we went down to the area and where this creature was standing, we found three nine inch footprints with three 15 inch footprints next to it. After shooting lasers through the trees and, and measuring where I was standing, I put my camera on a tripod and we put a, a laser pointer on top of it so I could see where my camera was shooting down through that opening. And then we went down in the opening with, you know, with poles to decide how. So this creature was five foot or, or six foot tall where it was standing and down off this hill. So I'm figuring this was probably the nine inch footprints. And the 15-inch footprints was the one that whistled that I never saw. Very interesting. I'm glad you uh, – now I'm assuming you cast those footprints or did, were they just in duff and you couldn't do it? We, we, we cast one of the 9-inch ones. I got some really good photos of the 15-inch ones, but they were on this side of this bank that was nearly vertical. And it was almost impossible to cast them. I, I, had, to make, I had to make the plaster really thick and I kept swiping it up to keep it in the – in the cast until it's set up but uh we did we did have those casts oh good good do what it takes do whatever it takes to get it you know stay tuned for more bigfoot and beyond with cliff and bobo we'll be right back after these messages sonidos of our music sonidos of our voices sonidos of our stories Listen to the sounds and voices of Latin music and culture with Pandora stations like RMX, La Vida en Pop, El Pulso and Satellites, and podcasts like Ruby Rosa and more. From music to stories, all that we are is in the sonidos of our culture. Listen now on Pandora. So, and what, what, when was this? When, when did you say it? When did you see this thing? This is four years ago in April. Four years ago in April. Okay. Okay. What's the snow situation like in April? Just gone. Just barely gone. Barely gone. Okay. Yeah. So where we were is the, the snow is, had just cleared out of that area, basically. And what happens there, if you follow the snow lines, uh, we have a lot of uh, morel mushrooms, and people pick those uh, in this area. It's kind of an almost an industry here in Eastern Oregon, the morel mushroom picking season. But the, mer, the the mushrooms follow the edge of the snow line. As the snow line goes up the mountain, the morels pop out first at the edge where the snow is, is going away. So we were right in that area where the morels were thick. So 
Interesting, interesting. And I think deer also followed the um, snow line up because that's where the new growth is happening. And a lot of that new growth is the uh, most nutritious growth they get. So that's another correlation. And were you inside the watershed where you should not have been or were you right outside? We were right on the edge. Right on the edge where you are allowed to go. Okay. Where we are allowed to go. I know I didn't go into the watershed. It's kind of, there's a, there's a road that goes into the area. Uh, the left side of the road, you can't go into the right side of the road. You can, but you can walk down the middle of the road and that's where we were at. And the reason I asked, and I wasn't trying to get you in trouble or anything like that, but, um, around here where I live, um, there are two watersheds available, um, for working. One of them is the bull run watershed and you're not allowed in there at all. It's a huge fine. It's, you know, it's a matter of uh, national insecurity basically, you know, so you are not allowed in there at all. It's a huge fine for fishing, even a tributary to it and blah, blah, blah. But on the other side of the mountain, on the other side of Mountain Hood, there is the Dalles watershed where you, um, there's no fences or gates or whatever. And you're kind of allowed to drive through there. You're just not allowed to stop and get out and park and do all that sort of stuff. So um, for big footing from your car with, with a uh, dash cam or a thermal out the window or something, it's absolutely perfect. And that's why I asked. I wanted to know what kind of watershed we're dealing with, like a Mill Creek situation where you're not allowed to set foot in it or like a, the Dalles um, where you kind of are allowed to go through it for some reason. You're just not allowed to get out and do anything. Right. Well, this one here is closed off to the public. You're not allowed to go into it, but they do issue X amount of deer tags that you can hunt the area. Uh, but they have strict rules about being in there. Uh, you can't even go to the bathroom on the ground. Uh, see, yeah, that's the same thing with the Mill Creek watershed. I, I've talked to people in the shop here quite frequently who have maybe pulled an elk tag for the Mill Creek watershed. And I'm thinking, oh man, I would like, I, I wish I hunted. Um, I'd love to go in there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so the next two years, I never drew a tag. I, I put in tags. I don't hunt either, but uh, I was hoping to get the tag so I could go in there. <laughs> Genius. I should do the same thing. That's great. I guess some hunters wouldn't be very happy with you, though, if you got the tag and you didn't try to go get an elk or whatever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cool. Well, well, what other sort of victories have you had in the blues before we move on to what you're doing now? We've we've found footprints. Um we found uh, some footprints up in the Tollgate area, which isn't far from where the Freeman film was taken. Yeah, great footprint came out of there too. Actually, uh, um, a woman uh, cast it. Some fly fishermen found it. It was on the it was on the wall actually in the Tollgate store for a long time. But the guy uh, who owned the Tollgate store, Jeff, he uh, sold the store and he took that cast with him and the one that I gave him as a gift. Um, and, uh, and say, well, if you ever want to get rid of that cast, let me know. I'd love to have the original. There's a hole right through the middle of it. That's how they stuck it to the wall. They stuck, they put a, like a, a drywall screw through the middle of the cast. Um, and there's a bunch of other casts on the wall too. Bill Lowry cast and a bunch of Paul Freeman stuff on the wall, even still. Yeah. Well, I, I, I can attest to that because the guy who bought the, the Tollgate store, uh, his name's Ren. Uh, when he first bought the store, he went in there and this, those were still on the wall in there. And since I was the Bigfoot guy in the area, he calls me up and says, hey, can you come authenticate any of these casts for me? And I went in there <laughs> and you're right. They're all on the wall with holes drilled through them, <laughs> you know, where they were screwed into the wall. So I saw th uh, one of the Freeman casts and I asked him, hey, can we take this off the wall? I just wanted to take a look at it. And he pulled it off and on the back of it is signed by Grover Krantz. 
Oh, yeah. Huh? That's interesting. Interesting. That's cool. Yeah, none of those are originals, though. Those are all copies. The only original that I'm aware of was the Tollgate cast, which they also screw the hole in the middle of. But, um, yeah, yeah. But uh, I have a copy of the Tollgate cast before it was drilled, which is kind of nice, I guess. But <laughs> Yeah, so so we found some footprints there. Uh, we found some more other footprints um, up here in the Eagle Caps. Or the Elkhorns, uh, it's that's right above Baker, uh, between Baker and Sumter area. A lot of reports in this area, but uh, let's see. And but recently, uh, just actually a couple of weeks ago, uh, we had a gentleman down south in just out of out of Unity, Oregon, which is a one horse town in the middle of nowhere, uh, nothing but cows, you know, out there. But uh, in the southern port. Uh, he sent me a video that he had found when uh, he was mushroom hunting and it was in his hunting area. And what's really interesting in last October, he had, he, this is where he hunts. I mean, where he puts up his blind and, and sits in this area, he was sitting there last year in hunting season. And then he left and he came back from mushroom season to the exact same spot. And there was a huge uh, igloo style nest built in his spot, which he kept pretty quiet. You know, he didn't want other people in his hunting area. And so he took a video of it and sent it to me when it was still green. And I thought, well, this is really cool. It looks like, you know, the quintessential Bigfoot nest, you know? Uh, so I thought, well, let's go check it out. So, uh, got a hold of him we went up there he took me down to the area i mean you got to park on the road and you got to walk down a really steep hill for about a mile and a half to get down to where this place is and uh the nest is still there so i started looking at it and every single limb that this thing is made out of was broken there wasn't one saw mark anywhere and they're they're ranging from six to uh you know, from two to six inches around some of these limbs. <clears throat> and this thing was woven together. I mean, it was solid and it looked like an igloo to me, but the opening wasn't at the bottom. It was about halfway up. I, I measured everything, took a lot of pictures. We, uh, we even looked for biologicals, of course, on the inside, look for hairs, uh, with a fine tooth comb. I even have a uh, UV light that we use to see if anything glows. Didn't find anything, but while we were doing the, doing our walk arounds and looking and filming everything, something dawned on me that this thing had a fence around it. There was these, these big trees. uh, Some of them were, you know, four or five feet around had been pushed over with the roots up. Some of them were snapped off. The, the smaller ones, like eight, ten-inch trees, were snapped off, and the, there was like a fence built, probably twenty feet away from the nest, completely around the nest. Just these trees laid down on the ground in a big circle around the nest. It, it looked like a fence. Could you uh, could you date the damage in any sort of way? I couldn't. I mean, of course, the nest itself. We know in in. Uh, early spring in April, it was still green. I mean, all, all the boughs and stuff were still green. Uh, they're not now, but so, but as far as the trees go, I couldn't really tell you know, the date, you know, when they would were broken or stuff. But what was really interesting is, is around this area, then we were 
probably about a hundred feet to a river uh, that runs year round. So there was water available really close. And we did find a, a, a footprint, an old, old footprint. I did cast it, but it, there's, there's some features, but you know, not much <laughs> after spending, we spent a couple days there and then we came back home and we went back the next weekend and spent a couple more days because it was just confusing to me the way the, this thing was set up and how strong it was. I mean, you could walk on it on the top of it and it wouldn't fall in basically, you know, it was, it was built sturdy. And when you've, when you've got four to five inch logs, you know, woven together. In fact, one of them, we found a six inch log that, uh, was pulled up with the root ball still on it that was woven into this. That's awesome. I think you indicated this earlier, but just, just to clarify for me, how, in what time period was this thing constructed? Cause the hunter went there, went away for a while and came back and it was there. What's that time period look like? How long was that? It, it wasn't there in October and then we had over the winter, but it was there and it was still green in April. In April. Wow. So four months. And is that area readily accessible during that time of year, like in February or is it snowed in? No, it snowed in. Weird. Totally weird. And no, no signs of fires or anything like you, you discounted the human thing pretty readily. Yeah. The, yeah. There was no, there's no, you know, signs of camping or anything anywhere near there. And it's and you know how the how they have really steep <laughs> the blue mountains are really steep so you know you have these cut banks and the roads above it you know but like i said it's a mile and a half straight down to get to, to this down by the river so you have to really want to go there <laughs> basically <laughs> interesting that's weird that's totally weird so do you have your eye on that right now do you have game cameras on it or what is there anything to do about that yeah, we we do have game cameras still there. Uh, other than that, we've we've done. We, I've literally measured everything, uh, which is kind of an advantage to me being an archaeologist. So I know how to document stuff. So I basically did the the old archaeological documentation on it, uh, which is document everything basically. So. Uh, we've done we've done a couple shows on it on our. Uh, we have a YouTube live that we do. And what was really interesting is between the two weeks, I we went there and I had talked about it on our show that week. And then I went, had went back the next weekend and something dawned on me. You know, this thing is about five feet on the inside. It's five feet tall and about five feet around on the inside. It's 14 feet on the outside because there's a lot of stuff piled up on this thing. I got to thinking, you know, this isn't big enough for like a full-size Bigfoot to lay down in. I mean, the bottoms, the bottom was filled with pine boughs and stuff, you know, like a human would use to make a, a bed, but, and the opening was smaller, you know, it's probably three, three and a half feet around. And I thought, this isn't big enough for a Bigfoot to be in, but it's big enough to put a Bigfoot baby in. And I was wondering if this is a bassinet basically, or a crib. I saw one of those in Alaska. The natives said that they build those, and the one I saw didn't look like it could hold a baby Bigfoot, but that's what they said it was for. Well, this one I'm pretty sure it could because we. I even got a picture of my wife. We took a stick and had her stand over it and reach down in there like she was going to put a baby in it, and she was a little short for the task, but she could have done it. 
Yeah, that might make sense considering the time of year because, you know, if it's all snowed in and whatnot, a structure like that would keep the inside area more or less free of snow, especially if you covered the out, like covered the doorway in some sort of way. Um, yeah, and, and uh, it would have to be, I, I don't know what the, the snow cover is in this particular area, the altitude or anything, but um, uh, something that heavy that you could, you said you could practically walk on it. It was so strong. Um, that would probably hold a, a huge snow load, I imagine. But I, I mean, who knows? I, that's very interesting that you're uh, coming up with these hypotheses. Yeah. So, so you know, and I, I think, you know, you need some place to put a kid if you're going to go out hunt or whatever, you know, just need a break for a minute. So, you know, I'm, I'm thinking if they're not that much different than humans, so <laughs> why not a playpen or a bassinet to put them in? So you're, you're continuing to do work on that. Do you, so cameras are out there now. Are you going to check the cameras before the snows come and set up some more for the snow time since that's when it was made? Well, I, I think it was made early spring. It had to be because, like I said, the stuff was still green in April. So we might hit that pretty hard early spring. Do you leave it on daytime only? Like, you, Do you guys keep the IR flash off on those things, your cameras? You know, I've, I've seen so much stuff about them being able to see the IR you know, and we know that the, there's there's animals like caribou and other things that can see that IR. Yeah, we do. We we even we put tape over our IR uh, on our cameras, and I also put the camera in basically a Faraday cage so it doesn't give off any uh, EMF. Just in case, I don't know why. In case they're aliens, I don't know. <laughs> so you know, basically, well, a lot of animal animals are sensitive to um, electromagnetic frequencies at times. You know, they make they make complete camouflage hunter outfits now that uh, mask the very faint EMFs that humans give off or any animal gives off in our little electrical impulses and our nervous system and that sort of thing. They don't have to be aliens for that. Just want to clarify that. So it's not a bad idea. Yeah. So we we wrap ours in a wire mesh just to keep the EMF down basically so you know um to, to start a new paragraph here you spend a lot of time in that area i know you're kind of roaming around now which of course we will get to in a minute but um the snake river isn't that far from you and really the snake river kind of winds through some unlikely sasquatch habitat just like um some rivers in the southwest do but yet the people who live there report sasquatches from the river basins themselves have you got a lot of stuff or have you done any investigations on the snake river and what would normally be be or at least seem to be unlikely Sasquatch habitat if it wasn't for that riverbed. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, we've got actually quite a few reports now. North of us, there's a town called Halfway, um, Halfway, Oregon. It does exist. Yeah, <laughs> but um, just north of Halfway is the Snake River. It runs through that area, and it's in the northern part of the Blue Mountains. But it's it's still very high deserty in that area. Um, it's where, uh, there's a, it's called, there's Hell's Canyon. I don't know if you've heard of Hell's Canyon. Oh, sure. Yeah. I've gotten a couple of reports out of Hell's Canyon. Yeah. Well, that's the area. <laughs> that's it. It's actually Hell's Canyon. Um, so in that area, we have had reports of people being, you know, see these creatures, uh, peering at them over rocks and stuff up in the, up in the tops of the hills while they're down in the river fishing, you know, and they'll they'll see these creatures watching them from the top of the hill, you know, behind a rock. Uh, Cause there's not many trees up there, but there's lots of rocks. It's very deserty. And the uh, hell's Canyon is deep. It, it, you know, it's 
cut its the Snake River's cut, you know, through there. But there's also a lot of Native American legend from that area. In fact, the the seven devils from the Nez Perce tribe are are seven Bigfoot basically in their stories, and that's exactly in the same area. So there's a lot of history there. Can you tell us about that story? I don't think I've heard that one. Uh, basically, yeah, it's a. Uh, it's it's from the, the Nesper Strife, which is from the Wallowa Mountains, which is just over the hill from Hell's Canyon. Uh, the Nespers have a legend, and it goes way back into the their creation stories. And this one here is where the tribe was taunted by these seven hairy men. Basically, is uh, the only way I can describe it from what you know from their language, basically. I don't know if you're familiar with Native American coyote stories, but the coyote to most tribal members uh, is basically a trickster, but also a protector of the tribe. And in this instance, the the coyote tricked the seven uh, Bigfoot over into this area and he circled them and turned them into stone. So there's seven mountaintops in this little area and they call it the seven devils. And so they they are the story goes that uh, these seven mountaintops were Bigfoot at one time that the coyote changed into stone. You know, it's funny is uh, <clears throat> you're on the Hoopa Reservation on the Trinity River. I don't know, it's, it's a few hundred miles from there, probably four hundred miles. But they have a legend of seven Bigfoots coming in and stealing um, seven Indian women. And the young young women out of uh, the Tishtang village, and that's why they abandoned it. They, and they never lived there again. That was three, four hundred years ago. So seven, seven seems to be something. There's uh, something going on with that, then perhaps. I don't know. Like figure that out, you guys. Okay, it's on you, Scott. Get back to us. <laughs> okay. Stay tuned for more Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. We'll be right back after these messages. Now, now, Scott, you're you're no longer based in the Blue Mountain region. Um, you have now taken on a new chapter in your life and your Bigfooting um, research as well. I want you to tell us about what's going on there. Well, uh, a couple years ago, uh, my wife and I were both teaching uh, at uh, high school, and of course, we know what happened a couple years ago, and our jobs kind of went away. So we were both uh, teaching in the performing arts. So that kind of went away because you can't really do that online. So we decided to, to, to sell our house and have some huge yard sales. And we bought an RV and decided just to hit the road and look for Bigfoot. So we ended up, uh, surprisingly in Maine, uh, for a couple reasons. Uh, my father was from Maine, so I, I had never really visited any family. I grew up in Oregon, so we had, I think we went to Maine once when I was a kid. So we decided to go back and check out Maine because uh, my dad's Acadian French, hence the last name Violet. <laughs> you know, uh, for using the South, they're called Cajuns. <laughs> but, so we decided to go check out that area. So we found a uh, campground in the North Main Woods that was looking for, uh, you know, just people to, you know, work for the summer and then you could camp there for free. And then we thought, what a great uh, opportunity just to hang out in the North Main Woods. 
I can probably uh, meet up with some family I've never met before, and we can look for Bigfoot. So we have started doing a kind of a town hall meeting. I know you're familiar with that. So we we set up one at a local bar in a little town called uh, Millinocket, Maine. And uh, I was surprised. I mean, the local newspaper did a little story beforehand to kind of advertise it for us. And I thought, well, maybe we'll get five or six people. You know, we had about 40 people show up. Wow. For for Maine, that's amazing. Yeah. So, and so we got to, you know, they, they were bringing their pictures on their phones. And, and so I, I got, uh, footprint pictures and, uh, blob squatch pictures and, you know, and a whole bunch of stuff, uh, stories about rocks being thrown and things like that. And so we documented all that and we started going, checking out these areas. Now the North main woods shocked me, uh, because, you know, I grew up in Eastern Oregon here, we got forest, but they have forest. I mean, that forest is so thick. You can't see 20 feet into it. And I don't see how anybody can keep from getting lost. If you go 10 feet in the woods there, it's just so thick. The trees are dense, basically. So I think finding Bigfoot, the reason we don't have a lot of stories out of that area is because it's basically impossible to see them. I mean, I don't even know how these moose walk through it with their horns to get through these forests. But And water everywhere. I mean, everywhere. There's rivers, ponds, lakes, just everywhere in northern Maine. It, it's beautiful. Uh, so we did we did discover something because of all the water we get a lot of we had a lot of pictures of footprints near you know river edges and stuff like that and and reports of people seeing these down by the river uh or down by the pond or the lake so we spent a lot of time uh camping out by lake's edge uh didn't find anything as usual you know it's very rare but uh the area is ripe for Bigfoot picking, I guess, <laughs> for hunting, basically, because there's not a lot of people in the North Main Woods. Another thing that was really surprising to me is that there's uh, actually not much of the North Main Woods, which is public. Most of it's private land. I mean, 90% of Maine, they don't have, uh, like here we have, you know, the Willow Whitman National Forest. You know, they don't have national forests in Maine. Uh it's all private land, and there's hundreds and hundreds of. I, mean, I think it was a, a, what is it, eight hundred and ninety uh, miles of four wheeler roads through these woods. People can literally go from northern Maine to central Maine on four wheelers through the woods, on these roads that are are set up for snowmobiles or four wheelers during the summer. So we actually got uh, a really good Bigfoot video sent to us uh, last year from the North Main Woods from a guy driving on a four-wheeler. We went back and tried to find the exact spot where he took the video and I couldn't find it. But we're going to go back and uh, probably next year and see if we can delve into that again. Did you have the witness with you to help you uh, to help guide you to the location where he filmed it? We did not. Oh, uh, yes. That's a huge blow. Yeah. So you have plans to go back there and maybe learn a little bit more about the footage? Oh yeah, that yeah, we, um, we, we're gonna 
see if we can find that spot. I mean, I, I've got friends that own four wheelers and we just keep driving in circles up there until we find it. <laughs> you know, I've got a general, general area of where it's supposed to be. So we just, and we've got the video and what we were doing is I had the video running while we're driving down the road. I'm saying, no, nope, that's not it. Nope. That's not it. <laughs> you know, basically. Is it a public video like on YouTube or something at this point or? Yeah, it actually is. Uh, if you go to uh, Squatch America on YouTube, shameless plug. Yeah, we definitely want to plug your channel. So, but so Squatch America on YouTube. Yes, uh, and then you can see this video. Okay, it's called a New Bigfoot Video in Maine. Oh, where'd you come up with that title? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we can see this thing a New Bigfoot Video in Maine on the Squatch America channel. This is a costume right off the bat. It's definitely not a blob squatch. That's the good news. Most of these guys drive about 25 miles an hour because uh, that's the speed limit on these four-wheeler roads. If you take it frame by frame and look at it, this thing is actually moving frame by frame ahead of the camera. So it had to be moving at least 25 or 26 or 27 miles an hour when they caught it in those frames. And that was the only thing that really confused me that made me think, well, maybe not. I'm hoping to find that area so we can measure that tree it walked under. That's what I want to do. It looks, it looks like a costume to me, like pretty blatantly almost. The problem with Sasquatch is that they, they do look like dudes in costumes, you know, but uh, I don't recognize the costume, which is good news because uh, there's a lot of really commonly available ones. Yeah. I'd say without further work, this is ambiguous, you know, but it's, something there and it seems to be moving what about the witness the guy driving did you get to talk to him much we have tried several times to get a hold of him and he's never got back to me so that's another kind of like maybe not you know kind of deal yeah but it's also maine you know people in maine i mean are kind of weird about that stuff um where, where were we bobo with that other video with that the kid who got it he was 13 or 14 or something was that tyler or something like that or uh turner 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 maine have you ever looked at that one up there oh i haven't i'll have to write that down yeah real interesting stuff and it, it's kind of gone back and forth and some investigators say it's a hoax and some say it's not but um because because the kid eventually said that um he hoaxed it but he was getting bullied at school and he was just tired of getting bullied about it so he said fine i hoaxed it leave me alone um, but, uh, but I don't think he did. Um, we, we interviewed the kid quite extensively on site. Uh, we interviewed his parents as well. It, um, there's actually two videos from the, from the area, um, uh, same property there. I guess the deal was that they were having vocalizations almost daily for a while. Um, and they would see this big quote unquote guy walking on the edge of their property. And, um, they filmed him one day. They thought they had a trespasser. And then there was a vocalization one day and the kid goes, I'm going to record these vocalizations. And you know, he had his video camera. So he went and put it down on this road that right behind the property and he, just to record the vocalizations. And he, and he happened to catch a glimpse of the thing walking in front of the camera. It was an iPhone. Yeah, okay. I, my, I, my, I could be incorrect about that because um, I know he set it down and I can't imagine setting down a, an iPhone like that and just leaving it. But maybe, maybe he did. I don't know. But nonetheless, he, he did get a, a – he did got a, a second or two of the thing walking in front of the camera and the vocalizations as well. Um, we ended up doing a, um, a night investigation there when we filmed our main episode and we got Bigfoots that night. 
we got them. And it was, they're running and they, they followed us back to the property when we're doing interviews later that night and stuff, the whole nine, it was, it was really good. And moneymaker got great vocalizations the night before that at the same property as well. Um, I'm inclined to think it's real. So if you haven't checked out the Turner main video, um, check it out. It's pretty cool. Yeah. I'm convinced it's real. Yeah. I think it's real too. So, and some people don't, and that's fine. Whatever. We'll never know for sure. But, um, seems that a lot of people who don't think it's real haven't really talked to the witnesses. And the, and the parents on top of it, the, both the parents. <laughs> and we were there having Bigfoot activity. So I don't know. I, I think it's real based on the context and the interviews that we did. So that might be a good area next time you're up in Maine to go check out. Absolutely. I got it on my list. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a place uh, on your website or anything, SquatchAmerica.com, that where, where you can look at some of the evidence and whatnot, then some of the research or read some of the sighting reports? Or do you just keep that all internal for now? Uh, right now we're keeping it kind of internal, but we'll, um, we do have, we do talk about it on our show, uh, on YouTube, but, uh, we are actually, we just revamped our website. So we're working on a database so we can put this in up there, but it, it's coming soon. We'll put it that way. <laughs> okay, cool. Well, yeah, everything takes time. Everything takes time. Okay, Scott. Well, thank you very much for coming on um, Bigfoot and Beyond. Where can people hear you? I know you've got a couple speaking events coming up and you're also you know, roaming around the country doing stuff. So where can people run into you and learn a little bit more about what you're doing? Well, of course, we're going to be at the Bigfoot Rendezvous in Pocatello, Idaho. You're going to be there too, Cliff and Dr. Jeff. Uh, we're going to be there. That's uh, September 23rd and 24th in Pocatello at the fairgrounds. And then after that, we're going to a little town called Elgin, Oregon on October 1st. They're the Bigfoot Rendezvous train where you get to uh, go on a train ride and uh, have lunch, and we're going to be talking with you while we're going down the tracks uh, about Bigfoot, and uh, you might see a Bigfoot along the way, allegedly. Allegedly. that there Aren't they guaranteeing something? <laughs> they are guaranteeing you'll see at least one or two Bigfoot along the way. <laughs> or I should say alleged Bigfoot. Okay. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. It's probably a safer way to say it, I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So there's that. And then on October 21st and 22nd, uh, we're going to be at the Yakima Valley Bigfoot Con uh, in Yakima, Washington. You got you got a full calendar then. And then after that, wintertime, what are you going to be doing then? Uh, this winter, we're going to be heading south to do some Bigfooting down south in uh, te- Texas and Louisiana and Alabama and South Carolina and North Carolina, and then we're headed to Tennessee in April at, for the East Tennessee Bigfoot Conference there with us and Josh Gates. Wow, good, good, good. Excellent. I'm jealous of everything you said except for the Josh Gates part. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's, I'm, I got You're doing what I want to do, man, just squatching, follow the seasons, going around the country. Oh, dude. Ah. Well, if you have room in the rig, maybe Bobo can like be your pet or something like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't be on the floor too much. <laughs> All right. Well, Scott, thank you very much for spending some time with us. You have, you have any extra time you can stick around and do some, uh, do some more uh, stuff for our members with us? Uh, absolutely. Cool, cool. Yeah, I, I, got, I got a lot of stuff I want to ask you. All right. Well, that'll be just for our members. Of course, we have a Patreon account that's starting in October. Um, if you want to um, check that out, just go to bigfootandbeyondpodcast.com and there'll be a nice big link for our Patreon on the webpage somewhere. 
um, and it's, it's to help us a little bit pay for the um, podcast and all that sort of stuff. And you get extra features, at least 30, 45 minutes a week is what we're planning at this point. And some of the visuals that we talk about, like uh, the, the main video, for example, we can post a link to that nice and easy for people to find. Um, so yeah, if you want to be a, a member of the Beyond Bigfoot and Beyond podcast, you know, if you want to hear that and have some extra content every single week, um, you can go ahead and go to bigfootandbeyondpodcast.com and follow the links and help support us there. We have shirts and hoodies and stuff like that available as well. So, but Scott, you don't care about that. Why don't we get you off the phone first? <laughs> thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks, Scott. All right. Thank you. Bye. Well, Squatch America is going to be coming to a campground near you. So check those guys out. They're in the area. And listen to their podcasts on YouTube. Yeah, I you know what I realized when I when I looked on there when we were doing the interview, I I, I punched it up. I've totally checked out their page before and, and knew who they were. <laughs> well, yeah, just just like a, you you had met him before and he didn't remember it as well. So yeah, me too, me too. But that's our life, I guess. All right. Well, thanks to Scott and good luck with the Squatch America project. And until next week, y'all keep it squatchy. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Bigfoot and Beyond. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us on iTunes. Subscribe to Bigfoot and Beyond wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Bigfoot and Beyond Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Bigfoot and Beyond, that's an N in the middle, and tweet us your thoughts and questions with the hashtag Bigfoot and Beyond. 